morning. How's everybody doing? I hear we have a birthday in the house. Colin, happy birthday. <laughs> Don't worry, it's just between us and the whole internet world who's watching right now. <laughs> hey, welcome to Camarillo Community Church. My name is David Hurtado. So glad you are here. Lead pastor here. And uh, if you are a guest, we try to do a whole lot uh, to, to make sure that you feel welcome to know what to expect when you come. Uh, later today, Kenny, will he'll come up afterwards. If you're ready to connect with us, we'd love to connect with you. I try to meet afterwards in the patio. Please come up to me. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm a regular old person. I'd love to kind of hang out with you and meet you and all those type of things too. So hopefully that you will feel comfortable being here. We're in the series in the book of Mark, and Angela said it's our second week. Uh, if she keeps on counting, this is going to get ridiculous because we're, we're going like four week, four verses at a time. So uh, we'll be in this for a long time until Jesus comes back and uh, in the book of Mark. And so uh, we're uh, going to do that again today. But uh, before we get there, I just thought I'd start with a, a, a quick story that I remember. I think it kind of relates to where we're headed today. Um, years ago, my wife and I uh, were, were hosting a small group at our house. In fact, not much different than the small groups that we're kind of piloting right now. And so you'll hear about that later today if you want to join a group and live life with other people. Um, and uh, my wife and I have for years kind of led one of those. We have every intention of leading one of those here eventually as well. And um, I, my, you know, I'm the discussion leader. She's the host. So she makes sure that all the, you know, guests would come and have like cookies and milk or, you know, sometimes she'd make bacon wrapped shrimp. <laughs> which is like every other host was like, man, I'm not that good. And she just loved doing that kind of stuff. So she, you know, so make elaborate things. And, uh, and that's her job. And she loves doing that. And I'm the, the leader, you know, let's get around. Let's, let's now talk. It's just uh, going over the message. What was the message about when the pastor said this, how'd that make you feel? What, what, you know, how is this applying to your life? What is God calling you to do now? And I would lead the discussion. Now it's a little different than most groups that maybe you've been to or experienced. You don't come to listen. You come to talk. All right. And so my job is to make sure everybody's talking, not to teach, which is really hard for me because I'm a teacher, but I try really hard to make sure everybody talks. And I remember this is one couple came in. His name was Joel. Her name was Kelly. And they were coming into our group. They were really excited to join our group because my group at the time we had, oh, probably six uh, wedded couples that already had children under the age of five. And so we were in that mode, that young family mode of raising kids. And, and that's why we kind of grouped together because we we're all going through the same experiences. And so we kind what are you doing? I have a child, you know, you, you know, she's kind of stubborn. What do you do when your child gets stubborn? And we, all these type of things and all these kind of occurrences that mimic each other. And that's why you want to connect on that level. And so uh, Joel and Kelly had not had a child yet, but they're really strongly considering having a child. And so that's why they decided to join our group. We're a little further along in our marriages. You could mentor us in marriage. We just got there. You guys have been doing this for a while. You guys all own homes. We're trying to buy a home. That whole thing was going on. And so we welcome in Joel and Kelly into our group and we kind of embraced them. Uh, quickly, uh, he had gotten a job in San Francisco, which is where all the good jobs were when I was placed over there. Uh, uh, and, and then from there, they bought a house. Uh, they wanted her to stay home. So they kind of bought a fixer of a house so that, that, you know, the payment wasn't crazy so they could do that. All of our connection group, we called them connection groups at the time. Uh, we, we would, we would go over there and kind of all the men would volunteer we, we can fix plumbing. We can fix that. And we're showing Joel how to do all these things. So, this family relation, we were talking about family deep relationship. When it was time for them to move into their home, they didn't have money for movers. So guess who moved them in? The group got together. We moved them in, had a party, bought pizza, and we set up house for them. And it was wonderful. I remember two weeks, three weeks, four weeks later, they come into our group and they make the announcement. And the announcement is that 
Kelly is pregnant. And, and, and when your family deep together like that, what happens is I, I'm pregnant. The whole, all of us are pregnant. We're having a baby. Everybody gets so excited. So the ladies are going to, to, to Target and we got to get you registered. And they're zapping everything they can zap. And then you know, we got to plan these uh, baby showers and all these things are going on. Everything's going perfect. Joel's got a great job, uh, uh, you know, a wonderful wife. They're going to have a baby. They just bought a house. And then I cannot, I cannot tell you how the, you could hear a pin drop when they came a month later and we found out that Joel's losing his job after only six months of working there. And he came in and said, it's just a rapid turnover type of a thing. And this place that I was working at is a rapid turnover place. So they're known floor and I didn't measure up. And so they let me go and we don't know how we're going to have this baby. We're going to have to go on COBRA insurance, and then we don't know how we're going to pay for that, and we don't know how we're going to pay the mortgage. And how our whole group rallied around them in prayer and put our hands, we prayed together, and we loved, and we were just there for each other that whole time. But I wonder if you can ever associate with that feeling of how one second everything's just going awesome in life. Everything's going just so perfect in life. And it seems like five minutes later, it can just all, like the, 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 the door drops out from underneath you as a trap door, and boom. You're in the midst of the craziest thing in life. Have you ever been there? Can you, can you, can you relate to that? Uh, all of a sudden, I, I, everything seems perfect. And we're living for you, God, and we're doing everything right, and everything, the blessings of life are being lavished on us. And then not much further along from there, all of a sudden, boom, it's all, everything that you assumed was there, everything that was constant, everything that was sure is gone. Whether it's the job that gets, or the business goes sideways, or the marriage that dissolves, or the child that all of a sudden is revealed, they're doing things that you weren't expecting. Whatever it may be, you feel that feeling, oh my gosh, how could something be so good and yet so bad five minutes later? And if you can relate to that at all, I think you're going to appreciate the passage that we're going to be into today, because we're going to see something similar like that. And so um, we're going to ask questions. How can, it, how can it be that things seem so good and then quickly flip to being so bad? Should we expect these kind of roller coaster ride things in life during the Christian journey or the Christian life? Should I expect this kind of a roller coaster in my Christian life? And if I should expect it, how does following God and his plan for my life affect that roller coaster ride that I go on? And for that, we're going to be in the book of Mark. So I need you to open up your version app that you downloaded last week because you're submissive to the pastor and, and, and Jesus Christ was watching. And so open that up to Mark chapter 1. And we're going to be there together only looking at verses 9 through 13, 4 or 5. I don't know how many verses that is. Uh, math is not my thing. So anyway, go there and we're going to be reading through that, looking, looking through that. And make sure you highlight things and take notes. We want to, be, want to engage the mind in these, uh, these, these things. And really, kind of the statement that's going to be on the screen that kind of over kind of kind of uh, gets us through the message today two things to expect when you step up and follow God's plan for your life what two things should you expect when you step up and follow God's plan for your life number one you should expect to be validated. Anytime you step up to do what God wants you to do, understand you'll be validated for that. God will validate that in your life. That's the good side of things, all right? So if I'm going to step up and do what God wants me to do, understand that you should be validated just like Jesus is validated in Mark chapter 1. Let's read it together. Uh, verse 9. 
At, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, at Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, if you weren't here with us last week, the first Mark starts his gospel out by this, this figure named John the Baptist, Baptist, and he's baptizing everyone. It's like everybody from Jerusalem is coming out, thousands upon thousands. They're all getting baptized. And now it says Jesus himself comes and is baptized by uh, John the Baptist in the Jordan. As, it, uh, as he was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. And the spirit descending on him like a dove and the voice and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. So what should I expect when I do things God's way? What should I expect when I'm, when, I, when I'm honoring God, when I'm, when I'm stepping up in my life to, to his way of doing this? Understand that God will validate you. Expect to be valid, just like Jesus Christ is validated in this passage. Before we get jumping in on that, I want to ask a question here because the text is almost begging this question. Why in the world is Jesus Christ getting baptized? Ever wondered that? Here, last week, we're talking about John the Baptist. People are coming in hordes. Remember his message? They're coming in hordes to get baptized. Uh, and his message was, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and be baptized. There's one coming after me, the Holy One, the Anointed One, the Messiah. You want to be ready for that. You want your conscience to be ready for that. Uh, clean your conscience. That's what we talked about last week. Get baptized. Uh, ask forgiveness of your sins. So when the Holy One comes, you're prepared for that. So it was a baptism of repentance that, that John the Baptist was talking about. Can somebody please tell me why Jesus Christ would need to repent? Why did Jesus Christ come and go, John the Baptist, you need, Baptist, you need to baptize me? Well, why does Jesus Christ need to, re, re, need to repent if we believe he was God, very God, man, very man, he cannot sin, there's nothing he's ever done wrong, why would he need to repent? Why would he get baptized? And it's a very important Question. In fact, in the, if you look in the, if you cross reference the story in the book of Matthew, chapter 3, uh, John the Baptist in that account says, No, 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 I'm not going to baptize you. You should be baptizing me. I can't baptize you. You should baptize me. Hey, he recognized the order of things. You're greater, I'm lesser. That was last week, right? I, why are you asking me to baptize you? Even he had an initial issue with it. But Jesus Christ, in an act of obedience, in essence, saying, I'm in full agreement with the movement of God. So here we have John the Baptist, which is God's movement. Uh, he's coming, and I want to associate myself with the movement of God. This is a God thing, and so I'm going to come and submit to it as well as an act of obedience. Not that I need remission for my sins, not that I'm repenting myself, but I do want to associate myself with the movement of God. I'm going to be obedient to it. And in fact, it's going to be uh, my way of publicly saying I'm accepting the mission of God. I accept my messianic mission. It's a very, I'm going to baptize myself all right, let's do this. Every time we talk about baptism, we, we tell you uh, that it's a symbol that you are dying to your old self when you go into the water, and when you come back up again, you rise again to new life. And it's a symbol on so many different levels because you're dying to your old self, rising to your new self. You're also associating yourself or identifying yourself with Jesus Christ, who did what? Went into the earth and rose again. Okay, that's what's happening in baptism. And Jesus Christ himself is saying, I accept the mission of going into the earth, dying and rising again for the people of the world. I, I, I accept that I identify myself with this mission that this baptism kind of symbolizes. I will do it. I'm willing to die. You ever wonder, he's 30 years at this point. 
Why has he not done any miracles? Why, you know, we have this short little story about him when he's 12 years old. We hear nothing between 12 and 30. What is he doing? He's waiting until he's inaugurated. He's waiting until he's been commissioned. He's waiting until that public time where he can say, I accept the mission of God. And John the Baptist in the book of John would say, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that's exactly what he's saying. I will do it, is what he's saying. I will follow your plan, God. It's your plan, not mine. It's going to require me to give all of myself. I will follow it. I will do it. I'm here for it. I'm not going to do things my way. I will do it your way. He says, I'm going to step up and do things the way you want it done. And what does God do as a response? There's a progression. Three things happen. I don't know if you saw it. As he came up out of the water, what did he see? He saw heaven being torn open, a spirit descending on him like a dove, and the voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. There's a progression. The first thing is, literally, the sky is torn open. Who sees this? Probably Jesus Christ, maybe John the Baptist. It's torn open. Same word is used when the veil is torn at the, at the end of his life and he dies, and the, in the temple the veil is torn. That's what Boom. From there, we see now, because it's open, this, this, uh, the spirit coming down the form of a dove to symbolize gentleness and to symbolize you are now have been empowered to do your mission. I'm, I'm commissioning you from heaven to go do this thing. You have now the power of the Holy Spirit to go do this thing. And then lastly, we see God himself who says, you are my son in whom well pleased. But Isaiah 64 says this, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. And then we see this ripping of the heavens, spirit coming down like a dove, empowering him. And then we, that's a visible affirmation of God's condoning his son, empowering him for ministry. And then finally, we hear an audible affirmation as well. You are my son. Now, we're going to stop there and just talk about this concept of him being a son. You are my son in whom I'm well pleased. Uh, being described as a son of God would be the essence of saying, I, I'm in very, I have the very essence of God. I have the very nature of God. In fact, in, in, in John chapter 5, Jesus would say, I'm the son of God. And they would get mad enough at him that they would want to kill him. And the reason is because they said, he says he's the son of God. He's claiming to have equality with God. They understood exactly what he was saying, that he was God. And, 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 and we view you as human. And so therefore you're blaspheming. We've got to kill you. Now, the problem with that is what if he is God and he was God according to the scriptures? But from the very beginning, Mark is already saying he's the very essence and nature of God. In fact, God himself audibly, audibly proclaims that. So you could say, you remember that time when the clouds and then all the dove and then this loud noise came like, oh my gosh, the, the, the heavens are screaming at us. This is my son and who I am well pleased. First time in the book of Mark that we see the Trinity in action together, the one God in three persons, the tri-unity all present at the same time. At the same moment, Jesus Christ at his baptism, the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove, the Father giving verbal affirmation. So let's just wrap it all up. What is the significance of all these validations? All right, turn there. Let's go to Mark chapter 11. It's on the screen because I just made a decision to go there and I have authority. I can do that. Open your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 11 and I'll just read it to you. Why is this so significant? All right. 
Mark chapter 11, go to verse 27. This is why you have to bring your Bible as well, because you never know what's going to happen. Uh, Mark 11, 27 says this. They arrived in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking the temp- uh, was, was walking the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. All right, these are the religious establishment. They're worried. Jesus is on the scene. He's bringing a new wave, a new way of doing re- religiosity. If his way is right, then we have no purpose, and we lose our fame. So they obviously have a lot to lose by this. And they ask him, by what authority are you doing these things they didn't say we don't believe these miracles that you're doing no no we see the miracles but why what authority are you doing them they're trying to discredit him another way and and uh, who gave you the authority to do this and Jesus replied look at this I will ask you one question answer me and I will tell you what authority I do these things okay you ask me a question I'll ask you one first if you answer that one I'll answer yours John's baptism okay here we go John's baptism did it come from heaven or was it from men you tell me Where was it from? Was it from heaven or was it from men? They discussed it among themselves and they said, if we say it's from heaven, he will say, then why didn't you believe and why didn't you get baptized? And if we we say it's from men, then they feared that the people would revolt uh, because they view him as a prophet. And so they turned to Jesus and they said, we don't know. And Jesus said, neither then will I tell you what authority I do these things. You don't answer my question, I don't answer yours. But it's more significant than that because what he's saying is, if you don't attribute John's baptism to God, then you won't attribute the fact that God validated me at my baptism. That's where he was headed. All right? So if you believe John's baptism was from God, then you remember when I got baptized and the heavens ripped apart and the dove came down and then God said, this is my son who has my very 